that. And uh, I hope that you'll take your Bibles. We're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But before we get there, you might go ahead and put your finger over in Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to look before we go to that passage. Um, As I was thinking this year, I I was reading an article And it was talking about the fact that on the last day of school, there was some children that decided that they wanted to bring their school teacher a present to to thank her for teaching them throughout the the course of the year. So one of the boys in the class, he was the florist's son, he decided that he brought his teacher a bouquet of flowers and gave it to her. She loved them. And then another little girl in her class, she was the candy store owner's uh, daughter. So what she did is she got a box of candy and she brought it in and she gave it to her teacher. The, the teacher thanked her for it. But the last one was a, a boy whose dad worked for the liquor store. And so uh, he carried in this big heavy box and the teacher noticed that underneath it, the box was leaking something. And so the teacher took her finger and she took a drop of it and she tested it. And she said, is this wine? And the little boy said no. little teacher stuck her finger back on it and tasted another drop and said, is it champagne? The little boy said no. She said, it's a dog. <laughs> you know, as I was thinking about that, you know, come 2020, you guys, forgive me, I know, you guys, Baptists. But, you know, going into 2020, we don't know what to expect, do we? We don't know what's ahead. And the fact is, is that, you know, uh, this is a time of year where we begin to make New Year's resolutions. We begin to plan. We begin to forecast, like, certain goals that we have, certain things that we want to achieve. I was reading another article, and here's some New Year's resolutions that some people wrote down. One person said, I'm going to give up chocolate for the, I was going to give up chocolate for the New Year's, but then I remembered that no one likes a quitter a good point. Another person wrote down, my resolution was to read more, so I turned on subtitles on my TV. (laughs) Pretty good. Here's my favorite. One person said that, I love when they drop the ball in Times Square because it's a nice reminder of what I did all year. Drop the ball. Some of you guys, y'all are good. you'll catch it later, all right? And so here's the thing. For us going into 2020, we don't want it to be a year where we're dropping the ball, do we? We want to, it to be a year where we're pushing forward. We're moving forward into being spiritually fit. And so right now we began a, a brand new series that we're doing called CrossFit. And what our goal is, is as a church, is this year that we would push further into spiritual health into further into our relationship with God, further into our prayer life of bringing our needs before him, uh, further into to spending time with God through his word. We want this to be a year where we're spiritually fit, where we're spiritually growing closer to him in 2020. And so that's what this series is gonna be all about. But have you found that living the Christian life is difficult? Um, anybody that would tell you that living for Christ is easy, they've never done it before. Uh, some of you, y'all drove to church this morning with your families. You know what I'm talking about. Is that living the Christian life and being the person that God wants you to be, it's, it's difficult. It takes a lot of discipline to live that kind of life. 
And you know, when, uh, Philippians 2 really captures what it takes to live the Christian life. Philippians chapter 2, it, uh, in verses 12 and 13, this is what it says. It takes two things. It's a balance to living the Christian life. It says this, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, here's the part. It says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that part where it says, work out your, your, your salvation, it's not talking about working in order to be saved. Folks, you can't earn your way to heaven. You could never be good enough. That's not what it's talking about. When it says, work out your own salvation, what it means is that you need to begin, you need to complete or fulfill what God has started in you. Meaning that when you got saved, you began a, a starting point. It was the, the beginning point for you, spiritually speaking. And so when he says, work out your own salvation, what he means is that fulfill what God started at in your life when you got saved. Work it out, complete it, continue on in what started the day that you got saved. You continue to seek, just as you came to Christ to save you, you continue to come to Christ to mold you into the image of Jesus Christ. And you do that with fear, with respect for God. But notice that if you continue on to the next verse, verse 13, describes that, okay, that first part, that was your part. It takes discipline to fulfill what God started in your life. But there's a second part. Notice what he says in verse 13. What does it start off with? For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So there's another aspect of the Christian life where God's working in the desire to become more like Jesus Christ. He's giving you the desire. He's giving you the energy. He's the one that's producing the spiritual fruit in your life. And so, folks, in order for you to live for Christ in 2020, it takes a, a healthy balance between, first of all, being disciplined, spiritually speaking, but also it takes God working that into your life and to bring that fruit uh, in, out of your life that it would come to bear through, through you. And, folks, that is difficult. Now, what I've found is that we go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want to kind of set it up this way. You know, Paul, I'm convinced he was a person that loved sports and athletics. If you look throughout the New Testament, you'll find many times that Paul would reference sports and athletics, and I think that there's a reason behind it. Paul recognized that in order to be a good athlete, what does it take? Discipline. You have to be a person that practices. They spend time in the weight room. They spend time working out, and they spend time uh, dieting. I don't really like that word, but uh, they, they would diet, and then uh, they have a routine that they go through in order to train to compete. And when Paul makes the Christian life and he compares it to athletics, what he means is this, folks, is that just like an athlete has to be disciplined in order to win, to be good at what they do, Hey, in the same way to live out the Christian life also takes discipline. It takes a routine, a workout, a diet that you have to be on in order to see spiritual fruit come out of your life. You guys agree with that? And so here in 1 Corinthians 9, we find that Paul begins to challenge the, the believers that were at the city of Corinth. And this was his challenge. You guys, you're in a spiritual race. You need to act like it. You need to begin to train like it. To get in the race, it takes uh, spiritual discipline. 
And folks, uh, what I want to do is this. I want us to give a, a definition of what is spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline, and I think we have it up on the screen, uh, it's this. It's a habit or a regular pattern in your life that repeatedly brings you back to God and opens you up to what God's saying to you. Let me say it one more time. It's a habit, a regular pattern in your life that repeatedly brings you back to God and opens you up to what God's saying to you. Folks, in order for you to grow in 2020, you need to develop some spiritual habits, some disciplines of coming back to God and opening up yourself to what God has to say to you. And so what we're gonna look at today is this, is that Paul was teaching these believers at Corinth that there are four requirements in order for you to run your spiritual race well. How many of you would like to grow in 2020? Wouldn't you like for God to, to, to do a work in your life, for you to be closer to him in 2020 than you were in 2019? Uh, we don't want to plateau, we don't want to drop off, but we want to see uh, our level of, of fellowship with God increase. We want to see more of him. We want him to speak to us. We want to become more like Jesus in 2020. What does that take? That's what we're going to look at, but I want you to understand the context. Paul was just talking to the Corinthians about how he's become all things to all people in order that he could reach them. So Paul, after he had just made that statement, I'm becoming like other people. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, living in discipline in order that I can reach more people with the gospel. That's the context behind what Paul is saying. And he begins to lay out for them four requirements of running a spiritual race well. Okay, so very first thing is this. Number one, it requires, running requires going after a goal. You have to have a goal. Look at what he says in verse 24. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, know you not that they which run in a race, they run all but, on, on, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. So Paul begins this, this process. He's talking about an athletic event. He's talking about racing. And the reason why that's so interesting is this. Paul's talking to people that were in the city of Corinth. Ever since Alexander the Great had dom ever since Alexander the Great, he had begun to dominate the culture with athletics. All of the Greeks, all the people in the Mediterranean area were very familiar with athletic events. Paul's using an illustration of something that they were familiar with. In their day, there was mainly two athletic events that were going on. The first one was what? You guys know it. The Olympics that happened in Olympia. The second athletic event was called the Isthmian Games. That happened in the city of Corinth. So when Paul uses this illustration, this example of running in a race, the Corinthians were what? They were familiar with what Paul was talking about. He was, they recognized what it looked like to go to a race. And so Paul's saying, listen, when, when you look at the verse, he says, know you not that they which run in a race, that word race comes from the Greek word stadion, which we get our word stadium from. Don't you know that you're in a stadium, that you're running a race? And I, I think we have a picture of it that we're going to put up on the screen. But the Isthmian Games were held outside the city of Corinth. And uh, it's uh, a beautiful area. They had this racetrack that was there. 
And see, the Isthmian games would happen in Corinth every three years. They would go there for the, the competition. And inside this stadium, it would be in a, a horseshoe shaped, and it would be tiered seating where they could seat approximately 30,000 people there. It was a big stadium. They could pack it in and crowd it out. And there they would have different contests, different uh, sports competitions. For instance, they had leaping. They had throwing a discus. They had throwing a javelin. They had sprinting. And they had long-distance running. And so when Paul raises up this picture in their mind, hey, Christians, just like you guys would go to this sporting event and you would watch people run a race, Paul's saying, folks, listen, you also are in a race. You're in a race. And folks, when these athletes would begin to run the track and, and whatever sport it was that they were competing in, listen, they didn't do it half-heartedly. They gave everything that they had to win the race. Hey, folks, it's a good reminder for us as believers to remember what? You are also in a spiritual race from the moment you got saved, you were entered into that race of becoming more like Jesus Christ. And he's saying, now you need to run like you're in the race. Now notice what else he says. If you go back to verse 24, you notice he says, but only one receives the prize. You see, the athletes, the reason why they would run so hard was this. They recognized that in order for them to win the race, they had to be more disciplined. They had to run harder than the people they were competing against right? It, it took more heart. And so what happened was is this, when he says there's only one that receives the prize, at the Isthmian games, when they won the competition, this is what would happen. They would get a wreath that was made out of pine leaves, okay? And that wreath is one that would last maybe a week or two before it would fade. On top of that, they would be immortalized uh, many times after they won a race, they would build a statue uh, there close by to the stadium to remember the person that had won. On top of that, uh, they would be held in great honor. Their city, their family members would be honored. This man, uh, when he won the contest, when he would return back to his city, many times he would come back riding on a chariot into his city, and they would actually had a weird custom of what they would do. This is what they would do. They would break down part of the wall, and they would ride that person that had won the, the uh, game and they would run him through the wall and he would come through where that hole was at in order to signify this. Our city is so strong and we have such a, 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 an Olympian, we have such a winner that we don't need walls for our city for protection. Now even more incredible than that is this. When they won the race, they would be given money from their city treasury and then on top of that, they were exempt from taxes for life. I'm like, man, we need some Isthmian games, but I'm probably not going to win a race. Right? You guys stop looking at me that way. All right, so uh, they're probably not going to win the race. But here's the thing is that they were exempt from taxes. And, and here's what Paul says about this. What does he mean by saying that only one wins the prize? Folks, listen carefully to me this morning. What he was saying was this. Christian men and women have been freed by Christ. You're like, well, what is that a big deal? The only people allowed in the Isthmian games were people that were free. They had to be Greek and they had to be free to run in the race. And Paul's saying, you guys know the requirements to be in the race. 
You guys know what it takes. You guys have been freed by Jesus Christ and you're placed in a spiritual race. You're to win that race. And here's the thing, folks, is that in order to win, only one gets a prize in, in the Isthmian games. But in the Christian life, many people can be rewarded by running that race. They would run it for a, a prize that would fade, but you're running it for one that will never fade away. Folks, you're like, well, what if I don't run my race? Does that mean I don't get to go to heaven? That's not what he's talking about. When he says run that you may obtain the prize, what does he mean? He's not saying that if you don't run the race, then you lose your salvation, folks. It means you lose your reward. He's saying that you're in a race for a prize that God is gonna give you one day at the judgment seat of Christ. If you run your spiritual race well, one day Jesus Christ will say, well done, good and faithful servant, and he'll give you a crown to reward you for running your spiritual race well. You won't lose heaven, but you could lose your reward. That's why Paul, uh, why in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, look at this passage, fantastic. It says this, it says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Notice what he says, let us what? Folks, let's say it together. Let us what? Run the race. That word set before us is the, the race that's been marked out for you. Folks, did you know that from the day that you got saved, God marked out a lane for you, a course that you're to run that's been set in front of you? And God doesn't want you to spectate. He doesn't want you to walk. He's called you to do what, folks? Run. You wanna know one of the things that breaks my heart about churches today? Is that there's so many people that are very happy and pleased to sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else run. We're living in a generation, we wonder what's happening in our country. People are no longer running the race. Christians are no longer running the race. We're living in a place where people are happy and satisfied to just sit back and watch, but they've never taken ownership of their Christian life. They've never decided that they're gonna run their race with passion, not half-heartedly. Folks, when they would run the race in Isthmian games, they run with everything that they had because they were going for a prize and only one could win. Folks, in 2020, if, if there's gonna be a spiritual change in your life, you're gonna have to determine that you're not gonna run half-hearted anymore. You have to be determined of the fact that you're running for a prize and you're gonna strive for it. You're gonna go for it. You're not gonna hold back. You're not gonna watch. You're not gonna walk. You're not gonna jog. You're gonna sprint for it. Folks, do you imagine what would happen in a church where the people are that determined to grow in their spiritual life that they say, I'm not gonna walk. I'm running for it now. Folks, that's what we need, right? We need more Christians that are willing to step up and say, I'm not gonna walk, I'm not gonna jog, I'm not gonna spectate, I'm gonna run for it. Now, it's interesting because in verse 25 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter nine, I want you to notice the, the comparison that Paul makes. Notice what he says. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. But notice, these people when they ran, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we and a, what? An incorruptible crown. 
What does he mean by that? Well, the wreath that these winners would get, it would last for maybe a week and then it would fade. These people that would run at the Isthmian Games, they would run for fame, for glory, for a good name. They would sprint in order to win their race. But Paul says that, folks, we're not running for something that's gonna fade away. We're running for a crown that's incorruptible. It could never be lost. It could never fade. You'll never lose it. And folks, here's what I've found is that to run the, the race well in 2020, you have to decide what you're running for. What's your goal? Are you going for earthly rewards? Or are, you gaining, are you running for eternal rewards? Are you running for stuff that fades? Or are you gonna run for stuff that lasts? Are you gonna run to please the world? Or are you gonna run to please your savior? Folks, you have to have a goal in order to run the race. And I've found that there's so many Christians that are running for stuff that doesn't last. They run for retirement counts. They run for a good house, a nice car. But folks, they've never set out a goal for their spiritual life to run the spiritual life well. You know, I was reading a story about a violinist that he was putting on a concert and he was playing his violin. And when he had finished his concert, when he was finished, the crowd jumped up to their feet and they began to applaud him. It was a roar that was coming from the crowd, but for some reason, that young violinist, he began to cry and tears were running down his face as he walked off the stage. The stagehand came over to the violinist and he said, why in the world would you be crying right now? Don't you see that, the, that you have thousands of people that are applauding you? He said, yeah, but do you see the one man in the center section who's seated in the middle? He's like, who cares about one man? You have 2,000 people that are applauding you. Why would you be sad? He said, you don't understand. The one that's in the center section, he's my dad, and he's the one that taught me to play the violin. It doesn't matter if I have 2,000 people applaud me. If he doesn't care, it doesn't matter. Folks, can I tell you that it doesn't matter what the world applauds. It really only matters what Jesus says is worthwhile. And he, through the apostle Paul, tells us as believers to do this, folks. Run the race. Don't walk. Don't jog. Sprint for it. Go for it in 2020. Folks, listen. It only matters what Jesus says is worthwhile. He says run the race. The second thing is this, not only running the race requires a goal, it also requires paying a price. Folks, this isn't a, a, a lesson that people love to talk about, but folks, you, in order, you understand that just like an athlete, for them to win something, it, there's a cost that comes with it, right? There is. Look at what he says in verse 25. He says, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. That word striveth is an interesting word. In some translations, it would use the word compete. Or sometimes it would use that, it comes from a Greek word that means to agonize. In order for you to run the race, there's going to be a strain. There's going to be a, a push. There's got to be effort. He's saying that every man that's going for the mastery that's going to win this prize, it requires a strain and effort and agony. It requires pushing. 
But notice that he also uses the word is temperate in all things. How many of you guys use temperate this week? None of us talk that way, right? The word temperate here literally means self-control. So he's saying in order for you to win the prize, you have to, you have to push, you have to have effort, you have to agonize, and, and you have to also have self-control in order to win the prize. No athlete can win a race without self-discipline. Now, you guys are like, okay, why would Paul be saying this to them? Well, the Corinthians would understand that leading up to the Isthmian games, that these runners, they couldn't just show up to the city of Corinth and just enter the race. When they would go to the city of Corinth, this is what they had to have. They had to have proof that they had been uh, preparing themselves for the competition for 10 months. 10 months of evidence proving that they had been preparing for it. And then when they got to the city of Corinth, they had to get there 30 days ahead of time before the race would happen. And you're like, why would they do that? Well, all of the runners would meet in a gymnasium and they would go through an exercise routine. It was a test to make sure that they were gonna have the physical capabilities to be able to compete with other people. And during that time, that 30-day period, they would have to give up certain things. For instance, they wouldn't be allowed to drink uh, they wouldn't be allowed to eat certain delicacies, certain types of food. They would have to turn away. Every single night, they would have a curfew. And then on top of that, they had a regimen, a very strict regimen that they had to follow. And you're like, Ryan, why in the world did they do that? They recognized that they had to, certain things they had to say no to in order to go after the bigger goal, folks. Did they have the right to eat sweets? Did they? Yes, they did. Did they have the ability to, to go out uh, after curfew? Yes, they could. Could they eat dessert? Yeah, they could do all of that, folks. Listen, he recognized that it, it, you have to say no to certain things in order to accomplish something. There's a certain amount of denying yourself. And Paul's saying in order for you to win the prize of the the that God is offering to those that run the spiritual race well. It requires denying your personal rights. It requires setting aside certain things, limiting yourself, and the ability to say no to certain things. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but what? Christ lives in me. Paul recognized he had to say no to himself he had to die to himself in order that what? Christ would be able to live through him. Hey, folks, listen. If you're going to run the race well in 2020, there's certain things that are going to be a hindrance to you. There's going to be certain temptations that are going to come your way that want to knock you out of the race, to make you want to sit down and watch other people run to decide, well, I really want to do this instead. And Paul's saying that there has to be a certain amount of self-denial, ability to say no. Folks, we don't tell ourselves no near often enough, do we? Stop staring at me. You guys are like, well, Ryan, you doesn't like you said no. Yeah, I have that problem too. All right, but here's the point, folks. Listen, it's the ability to say no. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, it says this. Let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that's set before us. What does he mean by that passage? Hey, folks, if you're going to run well, you don't weigh yourself down with stuff that will keep you from running. There's certain things you have to move over in order to devote yourself completely to something that's better. Listen, folks, it's not even necessarily bad things. It can be good things that aren't the best thing. Folks, do you hear what I'm saying? In our day and age, we have so many things that are willing to pull at our attention, things that are willing to to distract us, to pull us off of the course. And listen, if you're not careful, it will distract you from the best thing. And folks, it's so difficult in our day and age, isn't it, to be able to say no. Because folks, we love saying yes to ourselves. We love ourselves so much that we want to say yes to everything that will take care of us and what we want. You know, Warren Wearsby made a statement about this passage. I think we'll put it up on the screen. But I want you to hear his words. They're very good words about this passage. He said this, An athlete must be disciplined if he's to win the prize. Discipline means giving up the good and the better for the best. The athlete which must watch his diet as well as his hours. He must smile and say, no thank you. When people offer him fattening desserts or invite him to late night parties, there's nothing wrong with food or fun, but if they interfere with your highest goals, then they are hindrances and they're not helps. Hey folks, for 2020 to be your best year, spiritually speaking, there will be certain things you have to say no to. Everything has a price. You have to be willing to pay it. Are you willing to pay the price for you to grow in 2020? What do you need to say no to for this year to be your best year? Now uh, you guys are going to hate me a little bit, all right? Lean in just a little bit. You're like, Ryan, why why do you have to point certain things? Okay. Uh, I begin to think in my mind, what are some things that I could say no to that would help me next year. And you're like, Ryan, don't, please don't go there. I normally wouldn't go there, but I'm, I am just a little bit, okay? I was doing some research this week and I was thinking, what are some things that I could say no to? You know, according to a recent article, our average screen time on our smartphones in 2016 was an average of 13.4 hours a week. Okay, you know what it climbed up to in 2018? 2018, it went up to 15.4 hours. I don't know what it was in 2019, but folks, I imagine it's probably increasing. You imagine if we were able to say, you know what, Uh, for two weeks, you know, for a week, I'm going to trim some of that off, and I'm going to begin to trim it back in order that I could spend an extra two hours, maybe, total during the week where I could read God's word and I could begin to pray. You imagine what kind of investment that would make in your your spiritual life? How about this? I was reading a Nelson report that says that adults watch on average, watch TV, an average of five hours a week. I'm sorry, a day. You guys are like, what? A week? No, a day. Five hours a day watching TV. You imagine if you trimmed off an hour of that and say, you know what? I'm going to count the cost this year. I'm going to pay the price. 
so that I can run my spiritual race well. Folks, you don't have to be upset with me. I'm just simply pointing out this. For your spiritual life to be run well, it doesn't happen automatically. It has to be intentional. Folks, are you in agreement with me? Some of you guys are getting angry with me already. All right, listen, folks, listen. It, it can't happen accidentally. It has to be intentional. Nothing good happens by accident. I know. You know. It has to be intentional. So, folks, in order to run the race, it requires going after a goal. It requires paying a price. But thirdly, it also, running requires having a direction. You have to have a direction. Look at what he says in verse 26. And he says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. What does Paul mean by that? Paul simply means that, he says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. He means, I don't just run anywhere. He's not Forrest Gump, just like going running around circles. He's saying that he has a, a direction. You see the Greeks, when they would run in a race, uh, they would have this, this announcer, this herald that would run them. He wouldn't run them. He would walk them around the course that they were going to run ahead of time. So they knew where they were going. Uh, in the sprinting events, they would have a pole that they would set up in the distance. And all of the runners would fix their eyes on that pole. So that when the race began and it went off and they began their, their race, they knew exactly, they fixed their eyes on it so that they wouldn't, they wouldn't depart from it to the left or to the right, but they would run directly at it. Paul's saying that when I run my race, what? I don't run aimlessly. I'm not just running just to run. I have a purpose behind what I'm doing. I have a direction that I've set. I'm going in this way. And you know what his target was? He set his eyes on Jesus Christ. He says it in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. This is what it says. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing. What did he say? How many things? One thing. This one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are before. Look at what he says. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going for the thing which Christ saved me for. I'm going for the prize. That's my direction. It's Jesus Christ. That's a fantastic way to live life, by the way. He switches the analogy halfway through. Did you notice that? Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and this is what it says. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. What does he mean? I don't fight like a person that's just swinging shots. When you box with somebody, what do you want to do? You don't want to just throw punches just for the sake of throwing punches. Paul's saying when I throw my punches and I'm exerting my energy, I want to connect. I don't want any wasted energy. I don't want to just be swinging punches just for the sake of swinging punches. And you guys are like, Ryan, why is he talking about running aimlessly and just boxing the air? Why is he mentioning these things? Folks, I'm convinced more so now than ever that there are a lot of Christians that are just wandering through their life with no aim, with no direction, no idea what it is that God wants to do in their life. Do you believe that? They have no idea. What would God have me do? 
for some people, the finish line is their salvation. They think once they're saved, that's all God has for them. Folks, that's the beginning. It's the beginning. He has so much more for you. You're like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, Paul's saying that his burden was this, that Christians wouldn't waste their energy and that they wouldn't wander and that they wouldn't go through the Christian life without a purpose. You have to have direction. You have to have a target. It's like a story uh, you guys might be familiar with the movie. Sorry, I got young kids, this, this kind of stuff. Alice in Wonderland, right? And you remember the part where Alice, she comes across the Cheshire cat, and she has a question. She comes to the cat, and she says, would you please tell me which way I should go from here? And the cat, the Cheshire cat, answers back, well, it all depends a good deal on where you want to go. Alice makes a, a strange statement. She says, I don't much care where. I can go anywhere. And the cat says, well, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Folks, so many times we go through the life, we say, I don't care where I go, I can just go anywhere. Well, then it doesn't matter which direction you go, you can accomplish that. Running the Christian life requires a target. It requires something you're aiming for, a direction you're moving towards. It can't be like, you know, us husbands that don't turn on our GPS and say, I know where I'm going, and you can't get there. You have to have a direction. You have to have a place, a destination. And, and if you're here today and you've been saved and you're like, what's God's goal for me? What does he want me to do? What's the direction that I should fix my point on? Paul says it in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says this, for whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You're like, what does that mean? Well, when God chose you, and when he came after you with the gospel and you got saved, his goal, his will for your life was this, that you would be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And you're like, well, how does that accomplished? It's accomplished by having a plan, a goal in place, a direction by daily I'm going to come to him and I'm going to have a relationship with him. And gradually over time, by coming to God daily, slowly over time, I become more and more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. But folks, there's a price to pay. You have to have a direction. You have to have a goal. You have to know who you're pleasing. And folks, here's the point is that spiritual growth doesn't happen by accident. It's intentional. All right, now let's look at this very last thing. So running the race, it requires a goal. You have to pay a price. You have to have a direction. And lastly, folks, Paul said running requires a refusal to quit. A refusal to quit. Paul used another terminology. He used the word disqualified. I want you to see what he says in verse 27. He says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now that word right there when he says, I keep under my body, what he means is this, I give myself a black eye. You're like, what does he mean by that? He means that he recognizes that his flesh uh, has the tendency to do what? To fight against what God wants to do. 
So he says, I give myself a black eye. I, I, I say, take that to my flesh. And when he says that I bring my body, I bring it into subjection, that's the idea of this, folks. And you guys, please don't get upset with me. What he means by it is this. It's the idea that he leads his flesh around as his slave. And when he says that I bring it into subjection, He's saying that he recognizes one of the biggest goals that keeps him, one of the biggest obstacles to living the Christian life is what? It's not somebody else. It's not the world around me as much as it is what? It's the flesh. It's me, the flesh that's been unredeemed. You see, when you got saved, you received the Holy Spirit, and, and, and you have this new spirit inside of you. But listen, you still have what? You still have your flesh your flesh is still pulling at you and it's warring against what the Holy Spirit wants to work into your life. And so Paul says, you know what I've found? To live the Christian life, I have to lead my flesh around like it's my slave. What he means is this. If you don't master your flesh, what? It will master you. Have you found that to be true? So Paul recognized that if he didn't do that, what would happen is this. If you don't bring your flesh into subjection and lead it around as a slave, what does he say? He says, if he didn't do that, he said, when I preach to others, I myself should be a what? A castaway. You know that word castaway just means disqualified. It means a reprobate. It means worthless. What does he mean by that? That he would be disqualified. Folks, does that mean that Paul would lose his salvation? That's not what he means. He just means that if he didn't lead his flesh around as a slave, what would happen? It means that he would be useless. He would no longer be able to live his life to run after the prize, uh, to be used in God's service for his kingdom. That's what he means. So let me kind of close everything down with this. In the Isthmian games, one of the things that would happen is that they would have a herald or an announcer that would take the, the athletes around the stadium. They would show them the course and they would show them what they had to do to win the games. Now at the conclusion of that, this announcer would begin to announce their name, the city, the country that they represented. And you're like, what's that all about? Well, when they would make that announcement, they called his name, his city, the place that he came from. What they were doing is this. They would then ask the question to the crowd, this question. Is there anything that could be laid to the charge of this contestant? Is there anything uh, that would keep them from being able to compete in this competition? They would ask the question, is there any crime that they've committed? Have they been faithful to their to their training. And folks, if somebody had something against them, what would happen? They would be knocked out of the race. They wouldn't be able to be in it. And what Paul is saying is this. Hey, in those days, one of the biggest things that would bring dishonor on your family and on your country was what? If before the race, if somebody was able to lay something to the charge of you and you got knocked out of it. Because it didn't just bring dishonor on you, it dishonored who? Your family, your city, and your country. You know what Paul meant by that? 
Paul said, I don't want to live my spiritual life in such a way that I bring dishonor on my country, heaven. I don't want to do anything that would bring dishonor on who? My king, which is Jesus Christ. I don't want to live my life in such a way that I get knocked out, that I have to be, I'm unfit to be used. Folks, listen, do you have that desire in your heart? Lord, I don't want to do anything that would disqualify me. There's a lot of people that have been. People that never anticipated it have fallen into all kinds of sins and never really foresaw what would happen. You know, I was reading a story that prior to the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, nobody knew the name John Stephen Akwari. He was a runner for Tanzania. Uh, he would run marathons. As a matter of fact, in Africa, he had won many marathons before. As a matter of fact, he could run a marathon in under two and a half hours. He easily would qualify for the Olympics. He was an incredible runner. But when the Olympics went to Mexico City, he encountered an obstacle that he wasn't ready for. He wasn't used to running a marathon at that high of an elevation. And as a result, when he was running his race, his body began to cramp up and he couldn't continue. He decided, maybe I'll quit, but he pushed through it. He decided, I'm going to finish this race. And he began to run and about halfway through, there was a group of runners that got tangled up with each other. He fell down, he messed up his shoulder, he dislocated his knee and he was all bruised up, he was banged up, but he said, I'm not going to quit, I'm gonna keep running. And he kept going. As a matter of fact, there was a total of 75 people that started the race, but only 57 finished. You know who the last one to finish was? This guy. When he got to the stadium and he was running, there was only a couple thousand people left in the stadium. When they saw him struggling and making his way in, you know what happened? The people that were there began to applaud him because they recognized that he had the determination that he wasn't gonna just start the race, he was gonna finish. You know what happened later on when he finished it? He finished a whole hour after everybody else had been done. They came and asked him and the reporter made this statement. It's a fantastic. He said, why would you not quit most people would have. You know what he said? He said, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And folks, listen to me. Jesus, God did not send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross just for you to start the race, just for you to be saved. Folks, he meant for you to continue on into Christ's likeness. And folks, listen. He doesn't want you just to start. He wants you to finish. And folks, not just start, but finish strong. Folks, wouldn't you like for 2020 to be that year for you? Say, this is going to be the year I took my spiritual life serious, and I'm going to finish, and I'm going to run strong in 2020. You're like, how can I do that? I'm always tempted to just cut it off and to leave it there, but let me say, say something to you before we're done. You're like, Ryan, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know how to do it. 
If you had somebody that came to you and they said, hey, I want you to run a marathon. First of all, I wouldn't want to be friends with that guy. But if he did, all right, 26 miles. And, and if he said, Brian, I want you to run a marathon with me. How would you begin to do that? Well, first of all, you would recognize this. I'm going to give myself time. I can't do that in a week. I can't do it in a month. As a matter of fact, it's, in a couple months, it's probably not going to work out. What would you begin to do? You would begin to set small goals that you could set up and begin to make progress towards it, right? Okay, so maybe uh, in a couple weeks, what I would like to do is this. I would like to be able to run one mile. After a couple months, then you would up it, right? You would begin to, to but you have to be patient because you're not going to be a champion in a month, right? Okay, folks, listen to me. In the same way, you need to set some spiritual goals, some small goals that you can begin to go for today. And over time, after you've completed that progress, what do you do? You turn it up just a little bit more. You're like, Ryan, what could I do? Pick out one or two things. Don't set up like five or six. You'll never get it done. Do one or two. You're like, Ryan, what could I do? Here, let me give you a couple ideas. One, maybe you could start by committing to spend five minutes a day and praying. For some of you, that's going to be a challenge. You've never done that. If you're already doing that, maybe you go a little bit more and you turn it up and it doesn't have to be special. It doesn't have to be like this incredible language. You're not using that kind. You're just going to talk to God. Five minutes. Maybe for you, it'd be by setting aside 10 minutes to read your Bible. You're like, Maybe it would be before breakfast. If you've got a busy schedule and you've got to drive, they have apps now where you can listen to the Bible in your car as you're driving. Maybe for you it would be giving God first place in your life on Sundays. You say, the first day of the week, I'm going to set it aside and I'm going to be at church every single week because my spiritual life is important. I'm going to do that. Maybe for you it would be make a goal that you're going to invite two people to church this year, people that are in your neighborhood, and invite them to come to church with you. Maybe it could be as simple as finding one area of ministry in the church. You say, I'm going to serve God this year by, by doing this ministry. My point is this, is this, folks. According to statistics, it says this. If you can do something for 60 days, it becomes a habit. Inside of your bulletin, we gave you a Bible reading plan. Okay? If you would commit yourself to reading God's word, okay, for 60 days, you'll form a habit. It'll become easier. But folks, you have to be intentional about what you're going to do this year. Amen? Set some goals. Be intentional. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by accident. Let me ask that everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes.